and welcome to The Dirt. This episode is sponsored by giftstoyou.com, the place where gifts mean more. Did you know that Grow Your Own has its own fabulous gardening shop at Gifts To You? Head to giftstoyou.com to start exploring. This is the podcast that understands that we've all been there with garden failures, even the pros. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, Grow Your Own's deputy editor. We've got an exciting show coming up with plenty of gardening inspiration and topical chit-chat. But first things first, we've got organic food grower, writer and author Claire Rattanon on the line. Hi, Claire. Hello. How are you today? Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. We're really looking forward to having a chat with you. Um, So how are are things in your garden today? Well, it's a bit grey and wet outside, but um, I'm always grateful for the rain because it means I don't have to water, which is always quite (laughs) exciting. (laughs) uh, For the first time in my growing life, I have a garden of my own because I moved moved, um, to East Sussex last October and I I have a garden and a a new veg patch and... uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of space, just little old me. So, uh, so watering can take a take a little while. So I'm grateful for the rain when it comes. How's it going? Because you've always kind of traditionally been more of a small space grower, right? So you've now got more room. Has that been nice, or are you kind of like I don't know what to do with all this space? A bit of both, I'd say. It's it's really exciting, and it's been quite overwhelming because I've never I've always been growing in other people's on other people's land. You know, I've always been growing either in a community space or in um in different spaces throughout London mm-hmm. and this is the first time I've had a garden of my own it's certainly the first time I've had a garden that's got um anything that isn't edible in it so you know there's lots of amazing herbaceous perennials and I don't know I don't know what they are so I've been it's been an adventure trying to to take pictures and figure out what's what and ask my friends what on earth is growing and trying to give it the care it needs whilst not being a little bit overwhelmed and not knowing what's going on but um, but yeah, it's been it's been really fun, you know. It's we 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 didn't have a veg patch when we moved here, but we've been really lucky that we've been able to to take on a tiny little bit of land just behind our garden that belongs to our neighbour and turned it into a veg patch. And it's been great. I'm finally growing the things that I haven't been able to because they weren't part of my job before. You know, I'm growing truly growing for myself now. So I'm trying trying my hand at different things. It's fun. So we normally like to. Ease our guests in gently with our questions. Mm-hmm. So um, our, we'd first like to know from you, what would you say have been some of your biggest successes in your gardening career so far? I mean, there's, there's, there's been lots of, of work that I've been very proud of. Um, growing, you know, growing in a, in a city is, is always quite challenging in, in very unique ways and that you're trying to make the most of of unique spaces and small spaces and mm. you're trying to move your resources around the city is always a challenge and um and last year I worked um at a space in Haringey and and set up a garden that uh well it was it was a growing space that was um growing produce for Ottolengi, one of the Ottolengi restaurants and mm. and we started fair you know to establish a site from sort of mid-April onwards it's, it's pretty late in the the game to get going for the growing season but it was myself and my and my friend Sarah and we just really went for it and um lots of compost and some pretty poor soil but we we just gave it our all and we had this amazing year of um abundant tromboncini squashes mm-hmm. and and heritage tomatoes and beautiful climbing beans and chilies and you know it, it was one of those things where we really took a bare patch and turned it into a this beautiful abundance 
it was incredibly hard work, but it was absolutely amazing to see it really come into something within such a short space of time. So I'd say that's probably my greatest success story because the before and after pictures are, are pretty astounding. Um, how does that work then? Do they tell you what they want or do you say this is what we'd like to grow and, you know, that's the ingredients you're getting? It's an, a unique situation in that the the, the restaurant and the Ottolenghi group put forward the 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 money that we needed to get started and mm-hmm. to get us through the season and to pay us for one day a week um and we having looked at the space basically had conversations about what would work there we had a sense of what they were looking for but it was also about you know how best we can use that space to get give them unique produce that they wouldn't that would either be incredibly expensive to bring in from elsewhere mm. or was unique that it wouldn't be easy enough to get from you know a, a, a supplier yeah. for yeah. example the tromboncini squash they're such unusual vegetables each one grows in its uh, to its own thickness and and shape and some of them are just you know curled around themselves and and so if you're trying to get hold of those from a, a kind of larger scale supplier they just don't travel that well. Mm. And so, you know, we were able to give them these unique squashes because we were we were able to do this on a kind of small scale specifically for the restaurant. So mm. so it was, yeah, it was part collaboration and part kind of this won't work, but this will. And mm. and uh, yeah, it was a very it was a very interesting year. It was, it was really great. It's quite a name drop as well, I imagine. Yeah, just casually drop that in there. <laughs> sure. I mean, never met the guy, unfortunately. He was going to once, but um, he's terribly busy and he wasn't able to make it while I was there. I'm sure he's been there now. But um, but the chefs are amazing. It was really it was really interesting because they're so well, they're so excited about the food, you know. And so being able to be participate and at least in in their in their way be involved in the growing of this produce and then you know it, it being harvested the same day as it got delivered to their restaurant, or it got delivered the next day to their restaurant, and then they were cooking with it. And they could say that it just came from a couple of miles away, and they were you know they'd come up and the staff would volunteer and we would be texting every week and and so it was it was a really amazing relationship I I, I hope that there are other other sites that could potentially explore that model Um, and you say when you came to that it was just a blank a completely blank slate and you had to start completely from scratch what advice would you give to someone finding themselves in that position with their own garden or their own allotment plot where they're starting totally from scratch what is the most important thing that they can do sure uh, well the the space we actually grew in was a community a community space it used to be an old council plant nursery so when I say it was it wasn't used before I I, I mean it had a greenhouse mm. we had a, <laughs> we had access to a, a, quite an enormous greenhouse but there were the bed the beds that we were growing in you know there, there were some things that were growing there but nothing that was being it was it wasn't being used in that kind of commercial process so it was mm. it felt starting from scratch because some of the soil was really really over overused or underused you know it was very poor so um god what would be my advice to somebody starting from scratch um invest in compost mm-hmm. invest in organic matter is what i would i would say it's what i did when i came to my garden here and set up my veg patch it's what i do pretty much we would do it every year wherever i've grown because um, i follow the no dig principle as best i can mm-hmm. but um yeah, I think it's it's introduce organic matter to your soil no matter what. And um and that's what we did. You know, it was we looked at our budget and we just thought the best investment we could possibly make is to to buy in as buy in a, a huge amount of compost and just lay it down on the on onto the soil and and let the, the worms and the 
creatures do the rest. I think if you get the soil right, you can't go too far wrong after that, can you? Exactly. Know? Absolutely. And that's that's the that's the work, isn't it? We grow the soil more so than we grow the plants. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. as long as we're consistently feeding it, we've, we're improving it over time. And and it's been it's been very interesting trying to do that in the garden here because uh, in Sussex, wow, I thought London clay and it was was intense but the Sussex clay is wow solid really um, solid I didn't even know if I could I didn't know how how I could possibly grow in it I it, it feels like you know yeah like bricks <laughs> so it's been a, it's been a ride <laughs> so next we like to bring you on to perhaps the slightly less popular topic of the things that haven't gone so well in the garden do you have any sort of failures or, or we don't I know we don't like to completely say failures but you know things that haven't gone totally to plan or funny things that have happened or unusual accidents in the garden <laughs> so many all the time I don't know why we try and pretend like it's a perfect journey and that only there's only the occasional mishap yeah. <laughs> I make mistakes all the yeah. time um yeah, it's it's hard to choose. Um, I think the, I think the thing that taught me the most and um, was when I started growing for the first time. When I was living like well, I, I started growing when I was in in New York when, as a volunteer um, on a on a rooftop farm there. But when I came back to London and I was I was determined to change career track. Um, I'd started sort of volunteering and retraining in in London, and and I was in a tiny flat, and and I lived there until last year, and not even. Uh, a windowsill I could have grown on but with my over enthusiasm I was like wow let's just I'm, I'm in let's try you know and bought some seeds and and tried to raise plants on windowsills but inside mm. that just do their lives are best lived outside and I just grew this sort of sad gang of gangly tomatoes <laughs> who were just stretching towards the sun and I was like what's wrong with them why are they so you know and I just didn't really understand like what what I wasn't giving them in order for them to thrive and they just sort of turned into this they, they almost turned into sort of weird vines just reaching towards the top of the window <laughs> and they could barely hold it and I got <laughs> exactly they were definitely trying to open a window to escape and but then you know they flowered and they fruited I mean I got maybe like five tiny cherry tomatoes from each one but they were so weak they could barely hold the tomatoes up I just thought I didn't really understand at the time what I'd done to them but from the, the moment they germinated I'd I forced them into this you know <laughs> this sad prison <laughs> by own making and um yeah so so I think the thing that I really learned is that uh as, as much as we desperately want to there's there's certain parts that don't want to be inside at all and why would they they love living outside that's where they're meant to be and I think that's true of humans too so yeah yeah, I think trying and failing to grow certain things indoors is probably my most hilarious uh mistake (laughs) I mean five tomatoes is still better than no tomatoes though I agree I agree (laughs) definitely I was I was triumphant when when I harvested my first tomatoes but I definitely felt bad when I looked at looked at their their physical structure and I just thought you just don't seem okay (laughs) it's like they'd been pulled out on a rack and you know so they were less a list of things that you'd done wrong and more things of like what hadn't you got right at all I guess yeah and and, you learn so much through that though don't you it's it's such an important part of the process I can't imagine getting everything right all the time I don't know what I would have it's almost 
having gone through that, I understand the purpose of, of uh, the necessity of having kind of that, that all round bathing of light and, and some buffering of the weather and, you know, why, why our plants need to be outside. It's, it's, so I don't know, I've, every mistake I've made has been really informative. I think I that's think. true of everything. That's, that is how you learn, isn't it? Mm. And I, um, I went to the garden center at the weekend and I've never grown sweet potatoes and I'm, I'm not really sure they're that suited to our climate really, but um, I picked a plant up and I'm going to give it a go and it's probably going to fail, but why not? I guess by next year, perhaps I'll have a better idea of, of what to do with it. So yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I and I know then. people have succeeded with some uh, with sweet potatoes in this country, so it's possible. I don't think it's possible on a commercial scale because no. you don't have, quite have the sunshine, but you definitely can do it. But it's an unusual, I don't actually know the process, but I know that you grow from slips, is that right? Yes, that's right. Although mm. I guess I've got yeah. kind of like a young plant that's ready to go straight in the soil now. Oh, but yeah, cool. I think you can, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Just done a load of research hoping that I'm just going to be able to wing it and maybe I might get a sweet potato <laughs> before the end of the year. Have you got that plant just so that we're not asking you about your loofah plant every single week? My loofah plant's got flowers and it's started <laughs> to get actual little fruits coming on it now. I'm not sure whether they're going to be ready before the first frost turn up. But That's um, exciting. How long do they take? They're they were like the first thing I put in at the start of the year and oh, they're wow. so slow, so slow. And again, I think they like the heat and um, I put them outside, which I probably shouldn't have done. I should have kept them in the greenhouse. But yeah, it's a, it's a learning process. Totally. That's so exciting. I really hope it works out. I would love to grow a for one day. I didn't actually manage to get around to that this year. I think I I started everything late this year because it's been such an intense few years for me that I when, when I got to the to move into this house in October... I was so overwhelmed with the space. I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a year off. I'm going to take a year off. I'm just going to watch everything and see what happens. Mm. And then it got to like February and I was like, oh, no, I can't not have seedlings. What on earth will I binge watch? So, you know, so I, so I had to, I got lucky for me. I got all my seeds in the early, the, early in the year before the kind of, before the lockdown turned up and everybody uh, bought all the seeds and everyone sold out. So lucky for me, I, that kicked in a bit earlier for me but but I definitely I say lots of seeds are quite late so uh, I'll be interested to see what does and doesn't thrive. Yeah I would say I was actually a little bit late with everything this year because I normally suffer from that real that real early season excitement and then so everything far too early so I thought this year now I'm holding back I'm holding back and then suddenly <laughs> you realize that actually it's it's caught up with you pretty quickly we always do that thing as well because we work a couple of months ahead on the magazine where we're really excited about March and April in the new year you know the yeah. first of January comes around and we're already writing about spring so then when actual spring comes you're like oh kind of forgot that we need to actually start doing yeah. stuff now. Well, I think the same can be said for now as well because in my in the magazine world we're in September so I keep looking at my plants thinking surely I should be picking more stuff by now. <laughs> <laughs> wow you, you live in a different on a different calendar that's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we also like to hear about any kind of hacks or shortcuts or just those ideas that aren't necessarily the sort of thing that you'd see um Monty Don doing on the TV but that really work have you got any of those oh um let's see I mean I I lean I, I lean on feeding my plants and I don't know if Monty Don does this but I I really love either liquid seaweed or homemade nettle and comfrey and I just 
or comfy tea. And I, because I just think, even if you're absolutely 100% confident in your soil, you just, you know, you never know, frankly. Mm. <laughs> and I, I always just think a, 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 every other week, maybe just a little bit of a boost with seaweed feed is always something the plants seem to really appreciate. And and here, you know, with this Sussex clay, we know that it's full of full of nutrients, but also it's the first year. And, and so my, my courgettes quite, quite quickly got uh, yellow leaves. And I was just like, oh, you know, I know that there's there's nutrients in there, but they obviously can't get to them. So I gave them a little bit of a, a liquid seaweed feed and they are looking amazing. And so I think if in doubt, feed your plants, you know, if just 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 to be sure they don't mind a little boost of nutrients. I always think of it as a bit of a multivitamin. <laughs> I swear by that seaweed feed. Honestly. Yeah, me too. I think it really works. And um I think it gets to a point where my plants are like, all right, we get it. You know, you want us to grow faster. <laughs> I don't, it's like the like, plant equivalent of when you squeeze a pet too tightly, <laughs> like, just like pouring seaweed on them. Absolutely. I think, I, think it's, I think it's a gesture of love, as is a, as is a too tight squeeze of a hamster. Yeah. It is a gesture of love. I do. You might so. kill them, but, you know, at least you were. Probably not. Well, I'll take it. That'll be okay. But yeah, you know, and, and like we we probably gonna get to talking about this, but talking about particularly when you're growing entertainers, like it's indispensable. Yeah. You you know that your nutrients are gonna run out of your medium at some point. And so making sure that you schedule in uh regular feeds for, for container plants is really, really important because it's I think it's quite easy for them suddenly to run out and that for the for the, the yellow chlorosis leaves to kick in really quite fast. Mm. So keeping on top of that is definitely a because, you know, you can't go back. Well, you, it's not that you you won't lose the plant necessarily, but you can't get a yellow leaf to turn mm-hmm. back to green. So once that's starting to happen, that's a really, it's a sign that you... It can happen quickly as well, can't it? You know, if you mm. sort of snooze for five minutes, then it can happen, so... It's true. So that's why it's good to have a reminder on your phone just to, to say that it's really <laughs> Do you do that? I've never thought about doing that. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I am, I, um, well, I used, to, I used to work in TV. I used to be a producer and... Film and I know it's the old producer in me. I think I know we're going to get on to the next bit. The next question is lessons learned, but I think my what I tell everybody is is slow down, pay attention, take notes. I write down everything, mm. absolutely mm. everything. So I have a note, I have a, a diary that is completely dedicated to everything I notice when when things happen, when other things happen, if something's going wrong, what I then do to it, and then so that I can learn from it. I feel like. My memory is not the best and I'm amazed at how quickly I'll forget when I did a certain thing and how long it's been. But if I take a note down, I can see how many weeks it took from one seed to planting out, you know. And so that's my, I'm, I'm big into setting my I need to do this as well, I think. Yeah. I think writing everything down. <laughs> yeah. I need track of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I, I believe that in life in general. Just like take notes, always take notes. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree there. I'm definitely one of those people that if it's not if it's not written down, it's not staying in my head. So, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that definitely needs to be transferred to the garden as well, I think. So yeah, you mentioned the um lessons learned. So yes. what would you say have been your biggest lessons or the biggest lesson that you've learned since you've been growing your own? Uh slow down and pay attention, I'd say it's such an important part of the process is not always just the doing Mm. and um and that is you know that is a part of 
that, that does feed into that idea of taking notes and, and you're writing everything down. But yeah, I think uh, especially because it's been my my job, I've been growing, you know, growing to for either veg box schemes and for restaurants or in you know, school gardens. And I think that it's probably easier now that I'm growing at home for myself, but to actually take stock regularly, mm. maybe that's something you should put a reminder on your phone for too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, but that's the kind of best bit is um, things can change, especially at this time of the year, things can change so fast and it's it's incredible. And, and if you don't take a moment to, to remember where it started, mm. you know, it's, 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 it, you're, you're missing the best bit. It's the most exciting thing to, to watch things unfold and, and if you don't take a moment to pause. And, and, and in those moments of pause, you might notice something that needs more attention or, you know, or that um, is particularly fantastic. And, one of the things I always find when because I, I, I use covers quite a lot to to protect against pests, so I use either netting or mesh. And my brassica bed is, is covered in mesh. And um because it has been, you know, even though I'm still taking care of things and watering them, I you know, just suddenly realised these kohlrabis had just swelled out of mm. nowhere. And because I hadn't taken the covers off for a while, I, I'd kind of missed their <laughs> growing up. <laughs> and so luckily I've got another round going in, so it's fine. But um but yeah, I think I think that's the thing is to take take as much as your your veg patch or your garden is about the doing and getting on with things and the list of the list will never be ticked off. That's the thing. Your to do list will be will always have things on it that are mm. unchecked. But um, taking time to actually pay a bit of attention to to what's happening and what's unfolding mm. is is just the most magical part of it all. I need to do that more. I think is what I yeah. I think taking a moment, as you say, just. Because again, that's where you find things that are working, or maybe notice when things aren't working, and you can adjust them before it's too late if you're paying Absolutely. attention. Absolutely, um, there's so much learning in those moments of quiet. I think you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's how we kind of. I think that's that's when learning can become embedded, right? If you're always stuck in the uh, what next to do, yes, kind of state of mind, then you're not necessarily reflecting on what's going well. And I don't know. There's, there's my. I've got a winter squash that I, I can't believe the speed it's growing, and um, and I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember what it looked like when it germinated. I just can't believe <laughs> how massive it is already. And I just think it's kind of amazing to sometimes remember where it started. It wasn't actually that long ago when you were like, "Is it going to grow? Yeah. Will it yeah. die? Will the slugs eat it?" And then suddenly it's got a life of its own, and it's like doing its thing and being amazing and beautiful. And it's kind of good to to remember because I, I I think I have a lot of um beginning of the season anxiety I don't know what I'm doing yeah <laughs> everything's gonna die everything looks leggy I've ruined it all and then I sow too many seeds because I'm like always sowing backups and um and so it's good to remember that yes you know you a you know what you're doing and b don't want don't worry too much nature's got it and you've got a book coming out in the end of the summer right at I the do. end of August yes. so that's exciting yeah, it's really exciting. I can't quite believe it's real. You're the first people I've like talked to about it in any kind of official We got in there early, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's quite appropriately named How to Grow Your Dinner Without Leaving the House, which is the most... <laughs> like, you decided this before lockdown, didn't you? But it's just... <laughs> oh, I, I wish I could claim I came up with the title. But the title existed before I came along, because I wish I was... Everyone would believe I was psychic or yeah. clairvoyant, although I think that's a bit of a scary kind of psychic, because yeah, anyone could predict what was going on now. But um, but yeah, it is a, it's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> but... Um, 
but yeah, it's a, it's. I was so lucky to um, to have been approached by Lawrence King, and they they asked me whether I would be interested in in writing a book about kind of growing growing in containers because most people are not most people, lots of new gardeners are are looking at their spaces and wondering what's possible. And you know, if you're renting or your space is small or you're you know you don't actually it's paved over mm. or you have a balcony or you have you know you're lucky, lucky enough even to have a windowsill that is outside. Ideally, mm. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that uh, you that you know you're looking at space and wondering what's possible. Containers are the key, and so although I absolutely love, you know, I'm an organic grower, so I love working with soil. It, if that's not an option for you, then you know what do you do? And and I think there's so much that can actually be grown in containers if you understand how the principles of growing into soil translate. Mm. And so um, so yeah, just enthusiastically jumped on board and then. As, as yeah sowed lots of seeds and grew lots of plants in all kinds of places because I was still living in my tiny flat in London and so I was starting some seeds at home I co-opted my friend's garden in their cafe and was growing at my different jobs different plants all over the place and started growing those plants and writing cool. hopefully it'll be something that encourages people no matter what space they've got available to them as long as it's got a bit of sunshine to grow something in a container yeah Oh well, we can't wait to see it. It sounds it sounds really great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's because a, a lot of my a lot of hard work, but it's been I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm really excited, and I really hope that it's going to help encourage people who have just discovered that growing food is awesome. Yeah, uh, that they can do it wherever they are. I know. I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but I really love the cover. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know it's, it's like the least important thing ever, but it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. We definitely, <laughs> could, we definitely agonised about how we wanted it to look, and and uh, that was a very hot day when we shot that that particular picture. But I'm really proud of it too. It's really beautiful, and uh, and I grow those vegetables. Well, good luck with the release and everything else that's going on at the moment. And thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You guys are lovely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your enthusiasm about the book. Um, Fingers crossed for it all. (laughs) Hi, Rose. Hello. How are you? Good. We just came off the back of a lovely interview with Claire and... She had lots of good stuff to say and also going to tell you because you weren't here for it. I went to the garden centre at the weekend and <gasps> bought a sweet potato plant oh, that really? you know I'm going to kill off pretty quickly. <laughs> Don't say that. I believe in you. <laughs> Thanks. You can do it. I'm glad somebody does. But um, I was saying how it feels like a good tester to try it out this year yeah get a feel for like what it needs and I've done some research on it and then next year maybe go full steam ahead with like a full crop that will be the one potatoes yeah so we'll see how it goes have you planted it or is it I can't remember it's time uh yeah it's well I haven't done yet I need to plant it out pretty quickly I think because the year is racing away but um I know they're a bit tricky but um like you say, trial run, and then if it goes well next year, you can bring some into the office when we go back. Cause yeah, we'll be coming to you yeah. for our sweet potato fries. Yeah. I think they're, oh, I they're better than normal potatoes, let's be honest. Do you remember when I went through that phase of having sweet potato <laughs> jacket? Jacket yes. sweet potato. Yeah, I, I never honestly... know which way around to say it. Um, and I did that for like so many lunch times. But last I have year. to admit, I've never had worse lunch envy than I have with you. Oh, 
that's they looked good with all the <laughs> toppings yeah because yeah. you used to always have such exciting lunches in the office. Yes. okay i know this is a bit of a tangent but baked sweet potato hummus <laughs> maybe even like some salsa Ooh. spring onions yeah i'm um, like what else did i used to have falafel oh, chili you used to have falafel, falafel as yeah. well oh, you can put God. anything in there sometimes i, I just cook it in the microwave and have it like Oh, you used to have it with baked beans, but that's a bit weird because, you know, sometimes the baked beans are a bit too sweet. A baked beans with jacket potato combo is fine, but I feel like sweet potato is a bit more bougie. So, yeah, it deserves more. It, it feels like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I would also like to say I enjoy how we're glossing over the controversial comment of sweet potatoes are better than normal potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I mean, really, in the I interest, don't believe that. In the interest of team relationships staying good, <laughs> <laughs> I need to retract that same. Well, uh, I go through phases. I don't know. It's, I I think sweet potatoes, they're nice, but other time. But you know, you know, they have their moments when they're good and they're not so good. I am the same. Sometimes I'm like, I really am just craving a sweet potato. Yeah, but I would never <laughs> eat them like every day, like I do with regular no. potatoes. Mm, that's true. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I wanted to talk about some of the lovely emails we've been getting. <gasps> yes. Um, I have never known anything like it. Mm. Honestly, so many people, so many readers and listeners have been emailing recently with like cool pictures of their gardens. They're all like, so creative as well, aren't they? I know. So my favourite, oh, I shouldn't have favourites. One of my <laughs> favourites is from Gregory O'Neill. Two weeks ago, my daughter asked for an old table that was lying in the backyard and a grow-your-own mag. To my surprise, she presented this table to me for Father's Day. I thought it was brilliant with the collage, so I asked her why she put the grow-your-own logo on it, and she replied, it's your favourite mag, which is really Aww. sweet. Um, and so the, I know I've sent this over, but for These the benefit pictures are of amazing. listening, yeah, they, um, it's like a little coffee table, and... Gregory's daughter has like done a decoupage, which is my word of the day, <laughs> decoupage, of all different pictures and cuttings from the mags. So she's like cut out different pages and then in the middle she's cut out the Grow Your Own logo. It's so nice. It's so great. I also loved what was sent in is has to be has to be close to probably one of the youngest Grow Your Own readers. <laughs> you know the letter I'm gonna say, that was sent oh. in from Lucy and Willie from Royal Tunbridge Wells and Willie is 15 months old and loves it when the new issue of Grow Your Own arrives and he started to get into picking radish and strawberries in the garden and then there's a sweet little picture of them having a look at the magazine together. And also I feel like you're missing a crucial piece of information which is the reason why he loves the magazine coming in is so that he can shake the free seeds. Well yes, that is true. It's because he's so excited by all the different varieties. <laughs> Getting time about planting them. Not just the sounds of the seeds. She did say at the oh. end of the email that maybe by next year he'll be helping to plant out stuff. So, yes. so sweet. Little gardener in the yeah. making. He will grow up to become the world's most famous gardener. And then they'll be like, well, this is where it all started with Grow Your Own Magazine. So yeah. we're responsible for that soon. Oh, and then there's one more. Okay, so this one's from Lucy. Um, Lucy Travel, who is from Gloucester, and she said, this is a bit sad, when Miss Piggy, our seven-year-old guinea pig, went to that great hutch in the sky, God rest Aww. her soul, 
that's the sad bit. Her indoor hut was put away in the garage, but as you can see from the photo she sent, um, the bottom of it made a lovely deep potting up tray. So, Thank you, Miss Piggy, for passing on your home for another use. I'm sure that a guinea pig would be really, really happy that their hutch is being used to grow delicious greens. Yeah. That's what they would have wanted. Miss Piggy would have wanted it, I think. And we love a good upcycle. Actually, there is one more that I was going to talk about, which is um, less a sweet one, but it's just quite a cool idea, which is um, from Roy Harbin. And he is using like an, it's like a shoe. <gasps> yeah. I don't know how to describe this. Can you try and describe like it? Like a for hanging me? shoe rack like a fabric <laughs> shoe rack that you would yeah. hang on the wall and put your shoes in maybe I feel like you hang it in the inside of your wardrobe sometimes yeah. on the door and then <gasps> yeah. you put your shoes in it anyway he's turned that into a strawberry planter and he says thought I'd share this photo with you um recycled hanging shoes holder 20 pockets 20 strawberries and it's now hanging on the fence so oh. I loved that I've seen that done um before actually it's a really good idea because you must be able to put them up quite easily from um I don't know, like eBay or charity shops, because they're not really like, like that. home bargains, maybe. Yeah, probably anywhere. Like, or if you've got people who don't want them anymore, so, and they must sort of. I don't know how the drainage would work, but maybe, yeah, they're pretty cool. Mm. More upcycling projects. Just a good use of space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. More vertical growing. If you've got a small area, then that comes in handy. Those sort of things. So. But also, I feel like if you're um. You can buy like a really expensive planter, mm. which is great. They look great. But this is perhaps a more economical way of doing it. Yeah. Anything like that. Like even um, having uh, plastic water bottles that you cut uh, like lengthways and then use string to tie them up and hang them on the wall. That's another way of doing something like that. Like uh, having a DIY. Because that's the thing. Like you can do these things for almost free. Whereas, like you say, you can buy planters that you hang up and they're really expensive and they're nice. But, you know, we're all for the for the free life. Don't want to spend that money. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so true. <laughs> I've got so stingy during lockdown now. <laughs> I'm like... Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, and also, it's just a really good way of using... Um, every bit of space. So talking of space actually um, I was reading a really great article that I found on The Guardian um, by a lady named um, Claire Coulson and um, it's titled Doorstep Delights Why Front Gardens Matter and it's really um, an article about why front gardens are more or just as important as the back garden. Yeah. So we all think of the back gardens being the most important space where we grow our fruits and our veggies. But actually, um, she says that a place to socialise, an oasis for wildlife, a gift to our neighbours, a front garden can be all of these things. Yeah. Isn't about time we showed them some love. So um, she pretty much just takes like a look at lots of people's different front gardens and just sort of looks at why they're important and why we should be showing them more love and doing more with them Mm. um so she starts off by talking to um charlotte harris who you may or may not know is the other half of the design duo um harris bug who do a lot of chelsea and places like that Mm. um and she um has been sort of digging up her front garden and she actually says that 
where she lives in London, um, 50% of the front gardens have no plants. So the areas Mm. that sort of have been greened up are really important. And she actually makes this really great point that whereas um, sort of the back garden is for you, it's for your own enjoyment. The front garden is is almost for sort of other people for giving them joy. And she describes sort of turning her front garden into this lovely green space as like almost uh, gardening altruism. So doing things for other people people um because it does bring you joy I think and um she says a lot about how especially in these past few months the the front garden has become a really important space where we sort of chat to you know our neighbors and people that we um who have been dropping off food supplies clapping for the NHS people uh, things like that so that yeah that we should spend more time in it and um and the RHS has done a lot of studies as well about how over years um, all of the front gardens have be- been paved over really to make space for cars and bins and things like that, which is inevitable. But also um, we really want to do more to sort of green up our uh, streets and our towns because when people walk along the streets, yeah. it's lovely if they can be greeted by these spaces. I'd never thought about it like that. Like that's quite a nice mm, way yeah. of looking at it as a gift to yeah. the people that live near you because you don't Absolutely. always feel like you're um, getting. It can be easy to think, oh, I want to make the space that I'm in the most, i.e., your yeah. back garden, and the just space, forget about which is the not front a, garden. Yeah, yeah. I don't mm. actually have a front garden but maybe I no, need I to get a window box. <laughs> yeah, it, it can just be like that. It actually feels really topical for me at the moment because the layout of my house here, our driveway is um, comes off of the side road, off of the road that I live on, if that makes any sense. So you basically get to our driveway through the back garden, which means that we end up doing all of our coming and going from the house out of the back which means we basically never see our front garden and over lockdown we realized that actually it was a bit of a state and (laughs) we never really gave it any time because we forget it's there most of the time but we've actually got sort of halfway through giving it a bit of a facelift and planting some more stuff and thinking about just making the making it a nicer thing as you say Rose sort of in the community like walking along the road and having lots of lovely front gardens and Mm. it really there's been something really satisfying about it so I can totally understand that. Do you feel more house proud? Yes definitely and I I don't think that we'd fully anticipated that but you you'd get to the point where if someone would be coming to the front door and you think oh god we haven't looked at the front garden for three weeks and there are weeds everywhere and stuff but now it actually makes you want to go out there and think there are some nice plants out here and yeah it's just been a really enjoyable process it's really good as well for places that um have quite busy streets so like if you live on a really busy road because you can get plants um that actually like absorb um the harmful emissions so yeah so I don't know how effective they are but I think you can get specific um types that actually yeah that take in a lot of the harmful emissions so it has like so many benefits and also flooding like it helps to prevent flooding because mm. um one of the problems with paving over everything is that it creates like these sort of um I don't know how to explain it but like areas that are really pr- yeah. prone to flooding because mm. the water when it runs off the house it has nowhere to go so 
it, it just makes like such a big difference and sort of these places outside our front doors yeah. we can they're like semi-public spaces almost so everyone can enjoy in them so, well yeah. linking this back into what you were talking about Blake maybe the next thing is listeners of the dirt can you send us pictures of your front gardens we'd love yes. to see what what you've got going on there how also, you're I'm gonna greening post your this, front garden um, areas this article is really interesting so I'll put it up on our social media Mm-hmm. so that anybody read. else can have a little read yeah. mm. um i saw an article this week in the telegraph how to turn a passion for gardening into a career Ooh. and the article by mary Keane basically says outdoor spaces have kept many of us sane during lockdown and people are thinking about how to turn that passion the existing passion or new passion into a career obviously mentioning courses run by the RHS and you can get your various levels of your horticulture skills and things and talking about the different career options and you know design being a designer volunteering in local gardens and all of that sort of thing and it got me to thinking I I guess we possibly don't need to ask Rose this because (laughs) We know that Rose would want to work at Q, but uh, yeah. <laughs> if both of you, if both of you could have a practical horticultural career rather than a horticultural media career, what would you choose? Um, well, actually, speaking of Q, um, I think I would quite like to work in a place like that. Um, head gardener. I really want to be. Yeah, <laughs> of course, head gardener. Run the whole place, like do it all. Um, I don't know. I'd really like to be one of those like plant brainiacs who like deals a lot with like the tropical plants and like saving like species from extinction oh no nice. you know like collecting mm. the seeds and working in the seed that'd be quite bank a or rewarding mm. job i'd imagine yeah absolutely yes i would love to do something like that i think mine is uh, i guess if i was gonna do something and this isn't really horticulture but it's linked i went to <laughs> one of those pick your own farms the other day and yeah first of all I've never felt more middle class than going there like is there anything (laughs) more middle class than going to a farm and then being like we're gonna overcharge you for these strawberries you're about to get but we're also (laughs) gonna make you pick them yourself (laughs) but uh, I quite enjoyed it and it did get me thinking obviously like there's a shortage of fruit pickers I think if I wasn't Mm. doing what I'm doing now I would like quite a simple life doing that because it is it feels like it would suit the way that I work which is that I love like a nice quiet life yeah (laughs) just out in the fields I feel like I'm romanticizing it a little bit but my mum used to work on the apple orchards near us in the summer yeah it's just like it just seemed like a really nice little job being able to get out there be a bit sociable and just be out in the fresh air I think I think that's a huge I'm not sure how my hay fever would deal with that but (laughs) but yes exactly how about you Laura um well, I'm really greedy. <laughs> so okay. I think I have one of my friends is a really amazing cook slash baker. So what I would quite like is to make her open a restaurant and then me to run the gardens at the restaurant. So basically she'd have to cook all the things that I wanted to grow. Um. I, th- <laughs> I think that would be 
Excellent. That's a good that's idea. A good plan. <laughs> that's Be like, I'll grow you the veg if you feed me do all the with tasty food <laughs> every <afterwards>. day. <laughs> yeah. Please make all of the delicious things and let me eat them. And also let me experiment with loads of varieties and then you have to work out what to do with them. There's a lot of um, restaurants that do do that, though, don't they? They have like their own personal garden. So you could join in on that on that yeah. trend. And also the food's going to be more nicer because it's all fresh and yeah. grain of love. So Oh, maybe yeah. that's the thing. If my if my friend won't agree to this plan, which would be really unreasonable <laughs> of her. Like why wouldn't um, she? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe I can join the River Cottage Land team. Oh yeah. Laura, that I'm surprised that wasn't your first thought. I feel like that would be your <laughs> dream job, let's be honest. Well yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's nearly lunchtime, so I think we should go. And you've made me hungry, and I want to go <laughs> eat some food now. <laughs> Make a sweet potato. Yeah. But I think you've got some jobs on the plot for us, right, Rose? I do, and I will be sharing them with you now. The garden is now bursting with life. Plants, insects, and weeds thrive as the heat of the summer builds and the sun beats down. You will therefore need to do more to keep your plants in good health with regular watering, checking for pest infestations and hoeing any weeds that appear. As we always suggest, little and often weeding is the best, rather than putting it off and doing it all in one go. Keep an eye on crops growing in containers this month. Now that it's warmer outside, these plants will be growing larger and thirstier, so it's important to water them every day in order to prevent them from drying out. These fruits and veggies might also benefit from being moved into larger pots to give them enough room to grow big and strong. You should also keep an eye on crops growing in the open ground and give them the correct care specific to the type. You can increase yields from your tomato plants by feeding them with a diluted tomato fertiliser once a week. If you're growing aubergines, pinch out the growing tips once there are five or six fruits. You should also pick courgettes before they become marrows, otherwise the flavour may be affected. Your herb garden will now be growing at breakneck speed, which is good news for your cooking. If you experience a glut of herbs, however, pick, dry and freeze them for future usage. You should dry them in a sunny spot where the air can circulate around them. You should also cut back the foliage of your mint plants in order to promote fresh new shoots during the summer. This month sow basil, coriander, dill, marjoram and parsley. Watch out for the pests, red spider mite and vine weevil this month. Unfortunately, red spider mite springs into action in the sunnier weather, infesting greenhouses, sheds, chicken coops and even wheelie bins. Red spider mite damages a huge range of plants, including tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, aubergines and soft fruits, causing the leaves to lose colour, shrivel up and drop off. Vine weevils feast on the leaves and roots of ornamentals and fruits. If you suspect an infestation, releasing biological controls can help to keep numbers in check. Your pond will also be in need of extra care and attention this month. Clear away algae, weeds and debris and make sure to keep the water topped up. Look out for visiting pond life such as dragonflies and damselflies. Have a wonderful week in the garden and until next time, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt and don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell all of your lovely garden and allotment neighbours. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the Dirt listeners. 
head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number seven, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GPOD7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And a final exciting note, do you or someone you know have great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters? You could be our next podcast guest. Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know.